Pop quiz hotshot. What's your favorite summer movie? Remember it, because we're going to need your help in finding the best summer movie of all time. And welcome to Unspooled. I'm Amy Nicholson. And I am Paul Shear. And this is the movie podcast where we're trying to find the best 100 films ever made. And in season two, we are exploring different genres, corners, and categories of movies, kind of lumping them together and looking to see which film kind of just pops out from all the rest. And we thought, since it's the dead of summer, we should be exploring summer blockbusters. <laughs> Explosion! Oh no, it's an alien! Ah. Big stars, big budget, and most importantly, bragging rights. Because if you can make a giant summer blockbuster, you got it made. I'm talking about franchise. I'm talking about a cinematic universe. I'm talking about theme park rides. This is ultimately the apex of what movie making is about. Because here is the moment where you can write a blank check or just surf on this wave of success for the rest of your career. Wow. Uh, And that is why, historically, uh, critics do not take blockbuster movies seriously. However, that does not necessarily have to be the case. Because here on this show in Spooled, we've already covered three blockbuster movies because they were part of the AFI list. We already did Jaws. We already did Raiders of the Lost Ark. We already did Star Wars. Because it doesn't have to be the case that a blockbuster can't be good, right? Or does it just feel like that this summer when we have the ninth Fast and Furious movie and the upteenth Marvel movie and like, oh, I don't even know what else is coming out that just makes me want to die. Well, no, but Amy, you know, one of the things I thought about recently was something we talked about in the Alien episodes where we kind of found that films that are not based on IP, right, are very rare. You know, whether it's a book, a TV show, original ideas are few and far between. And right now in the blockbuster landscape, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller because even if you were based on original IP in the beginning, This is now a sequel of a sequel of a sequel or a reboot or a prequel. Like very few original ideas are coming through and becoming these giant blockbusters like we had back in the day. We talked about it. Jaws. Now that was also based on IP, Peter Benchley's book. But big blockbuster, not a franchise, became a franchise. Star Wars, original idea, became this big film. Raiders, an original idea, became this big thing. But now it's so few and far between. And I really want to kind of talk about how that makes you feel. Is there room for films that don't have a history or track record to actually succeed? Yeah, I want to talk about how do we make the blockbuster good again? Because those three films that you just mentioned, they're amazing. And if you want to hear us talk about them in more depth, we're actually going to take those episodes out from behind our archive paywall and put them back out because I want to talk about Raiders nonstop. Honestly, I could talk about that movie all day. But I want to figure out how like this clique of people, because we're talking about a little group of friends, basically. We're talking about George Lucas and his buddy Steven Spielberg. And they're like, what's up, man? Let's make some movies. We're talking about how they changed the direction of Hollywood. And who's picking up their mantle and making original stuff like them now? Like, how do we get good blockbusters back in theaters? 
And how does something that feels like such a trope, you know, that summer belongs to the biggest and dumbest, how can we mix that up? Because the truth is, this idea of a summer blockbuster, it's not that old. Like, yes, we give Jaws credit for launching the summer blockbuster, but when we say that, we really, really mean it. Jaws comes out in 1975. Do you know how many summer blockbusters came out in 1974? Zero, right? Zero. Zero. None of the films in the top 10 of 1974 came out in the summer. Year before, there was one. It was a James Bond movie. But no, like historically, people put their movies out in December. It was like a huge Christmas time. It's like the whole movie calendar, all the moneymakers only revolved around the holidays. But Star Wars comes out, stuff starts to change pretty quick. By 1977, you have five summer movies in the top 10. By 1978, you have six summer movies in the top 10. And that's still how it is today. Right now, half of our biggest movies of all time come out in the summer. So they launched a really, really impactful thing, but it's not as engraved in stone as I think it is. It's just as long as our lifetime. So it feels like forever. Yeah, absolutely. But that's what I grew up with. I grew up waiting for Memorial Day because Memorial Day meant that the big movies were coming out and Fourth of July weekend, all these big holiday weekends meant that you had a big, big film. I'm also going to talk about this other part of the summer blockbuster that doesn't get spoken about that much. It's also another movie that was a huge hit that was also on the AFI list, um, The Sixth Sense. That came out in August, and August became this time where people would sneak in like a potential summer blockbuster. Like, hey, are you tired from summer blockbusters? Well, here's an original idea that might get you on board. A movie like Superbad comes in in August and just boom, blows up. And it was used to be this like little secret area where you've been just movied out and they get you. It's like the last kill at the end of Scream. We get you one more time and you get right on board. I remember that was like a secret soft spot for the summer movie. Yeah, there, there's kind of these like joke cliches in criticism that there's months you just want to avoid as a critic. And it's August and January because <laughs> August is, you know, the dregs of summer and everybody moans about it. And January is right after all the Oscar movies come out. But those are two of my favorite months to see movies because that's a lot of times where they slip in little strange, funny things just to kind of expand and cl- palate cleanse. You know, January tends to have a bunch of like the smartest, strangest indies that nobody pays attention to and that nobody ever reviews. And I treasure them forever. I cling to them. That's my January month. And August, I think August is now officially summer because they have cool stuff. In fact, I think we're just expanding summer forever because now Disney has claimed March as summer. Like summer begins with March, basically. That's when like they start releasing their big blockbusters. We've right. seen this Everybody... go back and back and back and back. It was like May, then early May, then April. And now Disney's like March belongs to us. And now so does the rest of the year. Amy, as we're talking about blockbusters, I want to talk about the number one summer film from every year from 1975 up until last year. So, here we go. Jaws, The Omen, Star Wars, Grease, Amityville Horror, Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Return of the Jedi, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Batman, Tim Burton, Ghost, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Batman Returns, Jurassic Park, The Lion King, Batman Forever, Independence Day, Men in Black, Saving Private Ryan, Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, Mission Impossible 2, Shrek, Spider-Man, Finding Nemo, Shrek 2, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, Spider-Man 3, Dark Knight, 
Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, Toy Story 3, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, The Avengers, Iron Man 3, Guardians of the Galaxy, Jurassic World, Finding Dory, Wonder Woman, Incredibles 2, Aladdin, and now this year, it looks like Fast 9. I mean, that's that's from 1975 to now. What a crazy grouping of films and it got me all excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that one and that one and that one. You know, it's funny hearing you list all of those is hearing you go from saying words to saying numbers. You really had to turn (laughs) into a calculator at the end of that. Yeah, there was a lot. There were a lot of sequels there. It kind of is an interesting conversation here to talk about, like what makes a summer blockbuster? What, you know, have we gotten stale and what we like and, you know, and let's look at Fast 9, which came out just a couple weeks ago and is a huge hit. It basically signifies going to the movies is back because it has an opening weekend that not only is the biggest since the pandemic started, but I believe since the last J.J. Abrams Star Wars, the biggest opening weekend, like people were ready and Fast 9 brought them in and I couldn't think of a better film, truthfully, to bring out everyone back to the theater because there's something about that franchise. It's a 20 year old franchise. It is an original idea as much as we don't want to acknowledge it or make fun of it, whatever it is, it is an original idea, not based on any pre-existing IP, even though there's now a spinoff cartoon show, which I am on no big deal. Um, But uh, this fast and furious model has been so interesting because it does seem to pull such a diverse group of people in and it is, succeeded time and time again. It explores the world. It is, you know, uh, I think it has elements of so many blockbusters, whether it's a superhero movie, whether it's a James Bond film, it has, uh, you know, it has all the racing, has the effects. It really has a cast that is, you know, especially in this day and age, and this has been going on for 20 years with this franchise, that is different looking. It's just not white faces. It's just not male faces. And, uh, So there are a lot of things that you can hang your hat on with Fast and Furious that it does and continues to do and obviously is incredibly successful because of it. It kind of took everything that we love about summer movies and put them into one giant package. Yeah, I mean, if you had caught me after Fast 8, I'd be grousing about it because I really didn't like Fast 8 at all. But you were catching me right after I saw Fast 9. And Fast 9 is wonderful. So Fast is forgiven because they have made Fast 9. I'm going to make a a statement. All right, what? That Justin Lin is the secret to the Fast and Furious universe. Like Justin Lin, like he, when he created with Vin Diesel and that whole crew, Fast Five, he reinvented the franchise and F. Gary Gray, uh, not F. Gary Gray, but F. Gary Gray, uh, I don't think he knew what to do with it. I don't think he knew exactly how to balance that fun. And it's a franchise that I do believe that if not dealt with the right amount of um, camp, you know, there is a camp nature to it. It it becomes a little bit plotting. And, and I agree, like Fast 8 was not was not fun. It was fine. It was not fun. And when you see Justin Lin behind the helm, you're like, oh, I'm ready. I'm in. I'm all in on this. He gets it. He gets it. There is, I mean, that, he gets it. He, like Fast 9, it feels like a gasoline fire at an amusement park in all the best ways. You know, it's exciting. It's colorful. It's dangerous. It's a little bit dumb. And 
as much as I went to this film ex- expecting just to like grumble through it again because Fast 8 left such a sour taste in my mouth. Honestly, every Fast movie since Fast 5 has gotten steadily worse again hmm. because I think it misunderstands what makes these movies so fun. Really? You think it goes up and down? I think um, it was like, I think it I think it started weak, sputtered, was great with 3 when they went to Tokyo, sputtered, hit a peak at 5. Mm-hmm. And then has been stumbling downward and now has reclaimed, I think, I think this one is equal to five. Um, okay. Well, I'll tell you this much. Uh, before Fast 9, I always believed that Fast 5 was the best. Uh, I would then go that Fast 1 is the second best because without Fast 1, there's no Fast and Furious world, right? We just don't have it. It's not there. Then um, I think I would go to 6 and 7 or maybe I'll go 6 three, seven. Um, and then um, I definitely going to put four at the very, very bottom of the barrel. Uh, I'm going to put eight b- above four and I'm dropping in f- too fast, too furious, probably just above that because look, we get Roman, we get Tej, but it's a little bit of like a retelling. I get why Vin didn't want to do it. Um, so that's where I kind of sit on my fast Oh, my fast, uh, my fast rankings. But what's so fun about them, too, is they have stayed true to a certain extent. Like, they haven't reinvented themselves. When you look at, like, James what? Bond, I mean, what? well. The, the, well, the, the character of Dominic Trudeau has nothing to do with the original character of Dominic Trudeau. Well, He's like, I raise cars and sometimes I, like, rob people. And then it's like, no, wait, now I, like, beat up <sighs> drug dealers. No, wait, now I'm an international super spy. I Well, okay. Yes. From a plot standpoint, you are 100% correct. Like, yes, the plot has gone okay. off the rails. Yeah. I mean, if you mean they, they used to drive cars and now they still drive cars, fine. I, I guess what I mean is for a 20-year-old franchise, they have kept a lot of the elements that made the first one fun in the sense that James Bond in 20 years has certainly evolved, right? And changed. And the style of it has changed. Now, Fast and Furious has gotten more and more heightened, but I don't think that they've tried to fully, like, it's, um, it's a heightening of the world, not a reinvention of the world. And I do respect that on some level. Like, just from a filmmaking perspective, like, if you look at two and three, they are very low-budget versions of five and six and seven, right? But as the movies get more and more expensive and they go on, they are, well, now we need to blow up a whole island or now we need to drag a safe or now we need to pull a submarine out of the ground. Like, they're upping the stakes without reinventing the franchise. And I think that that's actually very interesting and weird. Like, you look at Alien, always reinventing. Look at Star Wars, reinventing, right? And it's it's these movies have stayed true on a certain level, uh, well, from I feel beginning like the to engine, end. Okay. I feel, yeah. I feel like the engine of a Star Wars movie and the engine of an alien movie is still exactly the same. Okay. And that's why I'm getting frustrated with them. Like, okay. we're here. Here's basically the same personalities. They're in the same combination. We have to blow up a big round thing. Yada, yada, right. yada. It's the same thing with Alien. We're on a ship. There's always this one type of girl. There's always this one but type of guy. But then why doesn't... Well, then I guess my question is, why does... And I agree with you. Why does something like Alien or even some of the Star Wars films feel stale. And these Fast and Furious movies, for, and again, I'm not holding them up as like the the best of cinema, but I am holding them up and saying like, well, this something's working here. Like that 
isn't always working everywhere else. Like, no, it's true. It is magic, know, whatever works in this franchise that, 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 that people are not able to duplicate. Because I feel like anybody would love to create their own Fast Five kind of spinoff thing if they could, and they can. Yeah, and they can't, and they've tried. And by the way, let's just call a spade a spade. Fast and Furious is a direct ripoff of Point Break, one of the best summer movies. I mean, they they clearly are just like, we're going to just take this movie, put cars. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. I mean, Undercover what Cop is it? falls in. Yeah, because it's not like you watch a Fast 9 movie and you say... Wow, that Vin Diesel's really emoting. I care so much about his character. I, like, I think there's a bit of me that just likes to go along with the ride on these films. Like, one advantage that I think a Fast Nine has that a Star Wars doesn't have is there is no encyclopedia of everything that can and cannot happen in all of the world you cannot explore, and there is no almost religiosity to it. Mm-hmm. People expect this to be the movie where, sure, Ludacris drives into space with a car that's got duct tape on it, and you're like, fine. And I think it has a certain level of buy-in of stupidity that makes it work really well. Okay. It's like adding a little bit of fuel injector to the gas tank. We're like, sure, go for well, it. Well, okay, this is actually a really good uh, point here, because I think we're talking about things that are very similar. And I'm going to give it a little bit more credit, and I'm going to put it actually on the director's shoulders. I think the key to a great summer movie is a director who knows how to have fun, right? I think Justin Lin knows how to have fun and create a fun movie-going experience. I think Spielberg, when he was making these movies, knows how to make a fun popcorn experience. I think that when you look at, uh, you know, even like... James Wong with The Conjuring, like or, or M Night, like they they want to make these. I'm on the edge of my seat films. Edgar Wright did they're an amazing. They're thinking about the audience. I feel yes, like. they're thinking about the audience's experience, and they're not thinking about their own budget and what they can afford and their egotism of look at how big I can make this. There's something really amazing about it. Like I, I just think that like there is sometimes this idea that like oh it needs to be more than what it is. And I think when you have a director who just embraces what it is, I, I felt that way. And I've, I'm not to bring up this movie, but I will. But that Piranha 3D movie they did with Alex Aja, he made that movie with the giant crocodile too. It's like, when you know what you're making, just make the movie that is going to be fun. I think Quentin Tarantino has that idea too. Like, I'm going to make a movie that is going to be, I love making movies. I'm making it. It's not trying to be, uh, for lack of a better example, like Tarkovsky. Like, it's not like those, those movies should exist. And are existing, but I feel like the the key to a summer blockbuster is somebody uh, like George Miller who makes Mad Max. You're like, oh fuck! Like it's like it. There's a joy there that just comes off the screen, and I think the ones that flop are the ones that don't feel joyful. They feel like, oh, I'm painting by numbers. I don't. I can't mess this up. I can't take these chances. I can't look foolish. And I think that when we talk about some of the missteps in Star Wars, some of the missteps even in Star Trek or uh, or Lord of the Rings or all these things, it's like it. It feels like they've gotten almost like in a straitjacket, and they just don't. You know, they, there's no there's no sense of fun to it. And I think that's what makes certain Marvel movies really pop too. Like just throw it out the window and have like, let's just explode this world and, and enjoy it. No, you're exactly right. I mean, where I'm coming from as a critic, it is now like innate in me that when somebody's like, we got a new summer blockbuster, a tiny piece of my soul groans and dies, but I don't think it should be like that. I think that the summer blockbuster deserves to be a really amazing, fun, artistic genre. I just think that we're at a moment where our directors have been 
killing it with their own anxiety where to prove that they can make like a seriously good blockbuster, they just make a really serious blockbuster where people walk around and they're very stone faced and here's this explosion and oh, oh, blah, 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 blah. And there's no joy in the blockbuster. Like you have to know that you're making something for entertainment and you have to embrace that and be okay with it and not consider it slumming and to think of it as an art form in itself to make something that gets people's pulses racing, that gets people grinning and happy and not think of yourself as a sellout. Now that I'm talking about this, I'm wondering if it's because blockbusters have been stealing all of their directors from young Sundance people who make like one or two movies and then throwing them in this world that we're getting all of these serious type of blockbusters because they're like, I'm not a sellout, I swear, I swear. But something is seriously wrong because when we went through the whole AFI list, one of the things we found out that I thought was interesting was that most of the top 100 were films that made huge amounts of money. And now I think we're in a world where we don't take movies that make huge amounts of money seriously and expect them to be good. There's either expensive movies that make a lot of money or small things that get nominated for an Oscar. And I want to just mash them together again and have a healthier cinematic experience. Well, I think that Marvel, we can't talk about blockbusters without acknowledging Marvel's place in this ecosystem, right? Like they own the idea of the modern blockbuster. They have been doing it for 10 plus years. Uh, And I think that one of the cool things about what Marvel has been doing is it keeps that idea of having fun. The movies feel very different. Like if you see Black Widow versus Thor Ragnarok versus, you know, even watching one of the TV shows that spin off into it, whether it's WandaVision or Loki, you're getting a different itch scratched. And I feel like where they're really smart is they're not creating the same idea over and over and over again. They're letting directors bring their own points of view to it. Like I'm very excited to see what Chloe Zhao does with The Eternals. You know, I know that's not technically a summer blockbuster yet, but I think you need to kind of allow for a reinvention. Well, I hear you, but hear me out on this. I think there are two types of Marvel films, right? Mm -hmm. I think that they make individual spinoff character films Mm -hmm. quite well. I think they let people have more freedom on those. Black Widow's really fun. I was surprised about how fun Black Widow was because I went in there being like, what, I've watched Scarlett Johansson play this character for, I don't know, nine films. And all I know about her is that her uterus was ripped out. Like, great. You know, she's not that, she has not historically been that well-written of a character. Not that anybody is. I mean, the default personality in all Marvel films is just like quirky, funny, cocky. But um, this film, she's still kind of the same person. But to have like Florence Pugh get added into this universe was just so fun. And this movie moved at a clip. It was really intelligent. It was really funny. There's a good parental dynamic kind of thing happening. And yes, it gets a little bit like mommy and daddy and blah, 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 blah. But Black Widow was much more fun than I expected it to be. So welcome to the summer Black Widow. I think those kind of Marvel movies are fine, but the worst Marvel movies are the Avengers movies. It's like the big bolts that they use to hold all of these films together. I think every Avenger movie is just like tedious, way overstuffed. You always know the pen is going to maybe blow up, but be fine. Like who cares? I cannot stand them, but they just, I think, have them in as scaffolding to keep these more interesting films together. I disagree. I think that the big team up movies function really not as fan service, but it pays off a lot of different uh, dividends for people who are really invested in the characters and the overall story. Uh, I think the Russo brothers did an amazing job. I I had a, a definite issue with Age of Ultron, and I think, weirdly, Marvel's dug into that movie to correct every one of the mistakes 
the quote unquote mistakes that that movie made and make it feel like, oh, no, no, everything that you saw that was bad there was for a reason. And they've kind of retconned their own movie instead of jettisoning it. And I kind of am very impressed by how they've made that movie become such a prominent part in the universe. Um, and it feels like a comic book thing. Like, yes, the big issues in comic books, like it, it's not working on the same sort of um, micro level that a, a weekly book might have, you know. Uh, so I I love my experience two years ago with Infinity War and Endgame. I love the way they came together. I didn't, I, I didn't feel that they were... Uh, trying too hard. I felt like they were actually, and this is again, Joe and Anthony Russo, I think create these like really fun, big movies. Yes. There's a million characters, a million things going on, but you're in it. You're in for this ride that just flies by. Like the movies fly by, maybe not for you, but I've sat in many. For me, they sort of, they sort of trudge by and you're just like (laughs) waiting for the scene where you know that Robert Downey Jr. is going to get out of his contract. He's not getting out of that contract. Just give him about a year and then he'll be right back in. I guarantee. I could use another island. I only have three uh, islands. I'd like a fourth island. But I guess we're talking about movies that work, right? Fast and Furious works. Uh, the Avengers, all the Marvel movies work. They are successful. People love them. What The movies that have kind of failed. Oh, wait. All, I, I can't let you just get by with that. All of the Avengers movies are fine. Right, oh, no. On. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I don't want to, like, I can't, like, get in the nitty gritty and, like, defend every Marvel movie. But I'm no, saying, it's they fine. Work. It's fine. They work. I just they get work. in the aggregate that they're all great. They, they, I mean, they They're, are. They function. I always say like this: the worst Marvel movie is a B, right? Because they have created a system in a world in which if you you cannot roll a gutter ball in the Marvel universe anymore, you can you can be like, oh, I didn't like that one as much, or I saw that okay. It's it, you're going to be knocking down a majority of pins if you're going to see a Marvel movie, and I think ever since Dark World. They have never gone backwards. They've only gone forwards. And and uh, and so I all I'm just saying is, I mean, I think you are correct in that. I think you are correct in that, that they. Yeah, I think your analogy of them having like bumpers in the bowling lane makes sense. But I think that is also why I get so restless with them, because as a critic, I really value novelty and risk taking. And I feel like there is such a stamped way that they make these to make sure they hit all the emotional beats that will leave everybody feeling fine and putting just enough risk here and just enough cocky funny here that I cannot bear them anymore. I feel like I'm, it's like you're eating just so many marshmallows. You're just sitting and eating like three bags of marshmallows every summer. And I just want like a hot talkie. I want anything else but the flavor of Marvel. <laughs> All right. Well, pretty harsh, harsh criticism. But uh, but like, let's talk about the other flavor then, the other hot talkie, which I think is a, a summer blockbuster that people don't often think about, but is equally giant. And when it hits, it hits, which is the summer comedy, right? The summer comedy that you feel invested in. And we could talk about movies like Super Bad or The Hangover, 40-Year-Old Virgin or Wedding Crashers, like these movies that come out, The Heat bridesmaids tropic thunder like these movies that we are starved for a for all the things that we love about blowing shit up we also want to laugh just as hard i feel like and and i love a summer blockbuster like a summer comedy blockbuster i feel like there's something really like that's the august thing that we were talking about before this is like the secret spot like you launch a great comedy here right when you're done when you're exhausted and it's like this this sorbet, a palate cleanser into the fall season once again. And I, and I feel like that's, you know, a, a type of blockbuster that 
I think is often forgotten. Like when you talk about the biggest blockbusters, you don't just say hangover immediately, even though it's so gigantic. I'm a thousand percent with you. I'm a thousand, thousand, thousand percent with you. Those are just the greatest discoveries. And I feel like they launch whole spinoff careers. I mean, even something like The Hangover, I was not consciously aware that there was a human being named Bradley Cooper until that franchise came out. And now there is the Academy Award nominated, winning, I don't know, he seems everywhere, Bradley Cooper. They're, they they create stars with comedies. And I, I feel mean, like I want more stars right now. I'm, I'm hungry for new stars and I'm hungry for that type of film that just well, is like, ta-da, here's a person that you're going to worship and revere. I mean, we could talk about movies like Ghostbusters, huge summer movie that kind of combines genres, which is, you know, I think people still try to do that when they try to do like evolution or something like that with David Duchovny and Orlando Jones. Um, and, and uh, you know, it just did not totally work. Uh, you know, I feel like you have these movies, even like Back to the Future, you know, obviously Michael J. Fox, huge star at that point, but Back to the Future makes him this other thing. I mean, Back to the Future, a classic, giant, giant film. And I just feel like uh, as we talk about this and we are going to explore this in the next couple of weeks, I want us to make sure that our blockbusters are divvied up between, you know, franchises and comedies and and then also these original ideas, these original ideas that that become maybe franchises. And I'm not going to put Fast and Furious there because Fast and Furious, I feel like, that's almost an accidental one, but I think like these bigger, bolder ideas, and we mentioned it before, like a Baby Driver or a Mad Max Fury Road, these movies that maybe people don't know what they're in store for and then just grow to love. Like that is a very kind of special blockbuster for me. Well... I have to say, I'm not looking forward to winnowing down the list of blockbusters because there are so many and I already know that I want to do them all and I feel like dying. But <laughs> we put a call out um, everywhere on Discord, on Twitter uh, to hear from you guys and to hear what y'all thought we should cover when we're doing blockbusters. Like what are the necessary summer blockbusters? What are the ones that can hold their own next to Jaws, next to Raiders, next to E.T.? And... I mean, there's one like clear and away choice that I think we just have to do right away, right? Jurassic Absolutely. Park. Absolutely. Jurassic Basically, Park is... Basically, everybody said Jurassic Park. We started this conversation secretly on the Discord a little while ago. You can go to the Discord at discord.gg slash Paul Shear, and you can check in on the Unspooled uh, page there. You can also weigh in on our uh, Twitter uh, timeline. But Jurassic Park is the one that really jumped out. It really just was very clear right from the get-go that that is a movie we have to cover. And what a great way to kind of jump into it because I do feel like that is a modern blockbuster that redefined, once again, Steven Spielberg, how blockbusters should be done. And this is like, in many ways, an advent of CGI. And I know that CGI started in young Sherlock Holmes, but I'm just talking about like this idea that everything was on the table and it just... I feel like everybody uses that as a stepping stone and is and and where we got to now, like where we are now in the blockbuster is more directly related to Jurassic Park than I even think Jaws was. No, it's true. I, I feel like Jurassic Park is a gimme. Do you just want to even start with that one next week? I think that that would be a great one to start with. But we want to come to you. We want to have you weigh in. And we, we've already had some battles online a little bit about what we wanted. Do we want to talk about some of these battles, Amy, and see where people are weighing in? I do. Because I really want to talk this out with you and figure out like a way through this where I feel like we're covering the whole beautiful firebomb and butter grease laden ground that is the blockbuster. 
You know, one thing that really popped out of me, and I think it is because we just came out of doing our space um, series where we talked a lot about Zemeckis and we talked a lot about contact, but Zemeckis was really popular here for a new person to do for a summer blockbuster, like Roger Rabbit and Back to the Future, just constantly. I kept seeing those people vote for those. And that is a tough call because I love both of those films very much. So I don't know, even know which one of those I'd want to do. I mean, look, I'm I'm going even deeper and going, what about the movies that we love, but we don't even think about as giant summer blockbusters, even though they were? I'm talking about Point Break. I'm talking about the original Karate Kid. Uh, going back to the comedy point of view, you know, Superbad was a giant, giant hit. Or Bridesmaids, like what would win in your mind? I mean, all of these are great. There's no, you know, we can fit them into other series, but what are the ones that are most pressing to you? I like your idea of talking about the stealth ones because the one that popped out at me was Ghost. People don't think of Ghost as a summer blockbuster, but that movie was huge, huge. You cannot deny the blockbuster power of that one. And, you know, there's there's other films too that may just have a personal spot in your heart. Like I know that whenever I talk to people about their favorite movies in the last, you know, five or six years, Everyone says Edge of Tomorrow is one of their favorite films. Um, And that's really interesting because it wasn't a summer blockbuster per se. It was kind of a failure. But then it became a a giant hit uh, afterwards. Uh, And that came in right at the beginning of summer 2014. So does that count? I'm going to say for this, it does count because it was made to be a blockbuster. And it, it really became a blockbuster afterwards. Well, Tom Cruise almost makes no bad movies at all. Like he is... Our major, major superstar. I mean, if we're going to do that, then now I feel like I should throw in Top Gun. You do get it. Get talk about it because it's coming out. <laughs> that sequel's coming out right now. I know. I mean, I'm disappointed about the Top Gun sequel coming out because that's the one movie that Tom Cruise said he never wanted to make back in the 80s. So I hold the, I hold him to his words when he was like 25 and said, no, I want to become a serious actor. I will not do a sequel to Top Gun. But he is. However, I actually will stand up and shout about the original Top Gun. I think that film is terrific. And I think it's a much deeper, less jingoistic, more complicated, uh, nuanced film that anybody gives it credit for. And I'm not I just like saying it. that because my uncle is a pilot in the movie, but I will talk about I that incessantly. I don't disagree. I don't disagree with you. That's what I'm saying. There's so many here. I think, about, I think Ghost in Greece is interesting. I don't Which one of those would you put it, would have put up? I think I would put Greece over Ghost only because I feel like Greece has a bigger, you know, uh, part of our zeitgeist. I think you're probably right. Okay. Yes, you are correct. You are correct that Greece is bigger than the zeitgeist. A weird little part of my soul wants to talk about Ghost. I just haven't seen that movie in so long. And I want to know if it is an example of like a successful romance that really crossed over, you know, that was something that people went to on dates, not just to see stuff explode. Right. There's something old fashioned about it. Also, I really want to revisit the Whoopi Goldberg performance in that. It has been a minute since I saw it. She won an Academy Award for that performance, right? She did? Whoa, I didn't remember that. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. I think that summer movies, you know, when they work best, you hear this term like four quadrant, right? Which is, it appeals to old people, young people, you know, uh, single people, married people, like this idea that it gives everybody a little bit of something. And a lot of the times it's a big mess, like a movie like Green Lantern. But when done really well, you can create something like Ghost. I'm going back to, to Baby Driver too, which is something that I feel like there's enough in it for everyone to jump into. And 
if we're going to pull this whole conversation back, and I and I hate to to peg you to this, I think Fast and Furious succeeds because it does that as well. I think Fast and Furious creates a four quadrant movie where the whole family feels like they can come and watch and have a good time. And I think that's getting increasingly harder and harder to do, especially when you see stuff like Space Jam. I, I look at Space Jam 2, and I am a LeBron James fan. I am a fan of the original Space Jam. But I, I look and I go, why are we making Space Jam 2? My kids don't know Looney Tunes. Like, I have a, I have a, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. Like, Looney Tunes is not part of their life. But yet, this well, is that's a, your failing as a parent. I really think. By the way, be. I've tried. I've tried. I mean, they've 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 watched Space Jam one. I think the only way that they understand Looney Tunes is through Space Jam. You know, so it is interesting. Like, oh, we're reviving this franchise, and I have not seen Space Jam two, so I'm just speaking out of my ass. Like, but we've revived this franchise based on something that doesn't really exist. I love the Muppets. I love the Muppets. My kids don't like the Muppets. I've tried. Um, I don't know what it is, but. We try to like put them like, oh, they'll like this. Like, what are the things that are actually moving the needle forward, giving people what they want to see? I think Pixar definitely, you know, I think that you see the reaction to Luca and it was uh, across the board. Every parent and kid I've talked to, they love Luca. Like, you know, and so I think, you know, we, we live in this world where some of the stuff that we do in summer we're just hoping, we're crossing our fingers. Well, this was successful once. Let's just throw it back to the wall and, and see what happens again. And, and uh, you know, I get nervous about something like Space Jam. I'm very curious to see how they handle that because, the I mean, I guess what you're betting on there is LeBron James is more engaging than Bugs Bunny. Whereas I think the original Space Jam was like, oh, it's a two-hander. You know, if that means anything, like, like the Looney Tunes <laughs> are one and, and Michael Jordan is the other. Um but I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm open to it all. I'm definitely going to be there first day watching it. I'm excited to see Space Jam. But I'm always wondering, like, who does this appeal to? Like, what is this? Who is this for? Well, yeah, I mean, the Space Jam in Top Gun 2 of it all, the idea that we're now resurrecting franchises from like my early, early childhood is stuff that I don't think even had too much affection at the time. Like, I don't think people loved Space Jam at the time. That that the movie is not good. I just rewatched it because I'm very excited to see Space Jam 2 for LeBron. It's terrible. It's terrible. But we're like at an interesting crossroads in the blockbuster where, you know, even just listening to all of those numbers come in as you start like talking about the number one box office from every year to hear the sequeling come in where because these movies are so big and because there is so much money riding on them, people who greenlight them, I think, are not looking at the fundamentals of what makes these films good. And they're just really clinging to IP that I think is not that valuable. Honestly, I don't think the IP of Space Jam and Top Gun is really that valuable because I can't imagine who those films are for, those sequels are for. Like, you're right. 20 years old and you want to go see the movies. You weren't alive when the first Top Gun came out. It's like if I was 16 and you were making, I don't know, like The Getaway 2 with by Sam Peckinpah. And I was like, what? I never saw The Getaway 1. I don't know who Ally McGraw is. Like, why would I care? And I want to kind of talk about I think what I'm excited to do in this series with you is really go through the evolution of the blockbuster, figure out where we took a wrong turn and started relying on names and characters rather than ingredients of a blockbuster, mm -hmm. rather than things that we know work inside the mechanics of it and just started leaning on signifiers of films that we think you already liked. 
I want to find that point, and then I want to figure out how to work backwards and make good blockbusters again. Well, because I love we came that. up with the Terminator in the first place, man. Why can't we come up with a new Terminator? I don't want the same Terminator. I want a and, brand new Terminator. It's not way, called a Terminator. Call him Ralph. Call him anything. I just don't <laughs> want a Ralph. Terminator again. But here's what I'll say. I also believe that we're in a time where you can take an interesting movie and reinvent it. Like, I'm very excited for the Jordan Peele-produced Candyman. I think Candyman's a cool movie. And I feel like, you know, with Nia DaCosta directing it and uh, Jordan wrote the screenplay for it, I'm excited. I'm like, ooh, I'm curious of what he can do because that's a character that could use a reinvention. Like, that could use an update. I'm also very excited to see what James Gunn does. James Gunn is one of those directors I talk about who I think understands fun at the theater. And to see him reboot a franchise that just failed like two years ago with Suicide Squad, already the trailer makes me go, I'm so excited for this movie. And I hated that first Suicide Squad. So I think that there is room for people to reinvent, but they really need to reinvent and not stay so loyal. You know, it's like, it looks like they really blew up everything about Suicide Squad to make it this other thing. And, you know, and then we'll see on the other side of that too. It's like, all right, well, what is, you know, what is Snake Eyes, the G.I. Joe origin story this year? Like, you know, like, do we need that? Like, is, is G.I. Joe that popular anymore? I don't know. Is that going to bring people to the theater? Do your like kids Henry play Go- with G.I. Joe? No, of course not. I mean, and then I look at the Jungle Cruise. I go, well, here's an unpopular ride. Well, I love it because I'm a Disney person. But I love it because the- you can sit down and it's shady. And I love it's, animatronics. And I love, I love that. I love everything about it. I mean, I love everything about it. So I am also understanding that I'm not part of this world. But it's like, all right, so here's a movie or here's a ride at Disney that my kids are not interested in. But will this be something that captures them? Well, Emily Blunt and The Rock, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll you know. There's so many different versions of what can come out, and I'm very curious at the end. And then I get excited when I see M. Night doing a movie like Old, you know, a movie where it's it's just an old school, you know, like straight up, like people go to a beach and they age rapidly. Cool. Like, all right, let's see. Maybe it will suck. Maybe it will be great. You know, um, I don't know. You know, but I get excited when I see something like In the Heights, too. I think In the Heights versus West Side Story will be a very interesting story to be told. Like, you know, what what is going to have the resonance? I, I already feel like In the Heights, it's weird because I think the streaming thing gets so quickly, like you're through it. So I'm curious if West Side has a bigger uh, footprint by the time it comes out. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I do, I do really like In the Heights. I hope people go see In the Heights if they haven't, like. I saw that film and the entire theater that I was with started sniffling and crying. Yeah. And also cheering. Like it is a really emotional film. And just, I think it's just an absolute joy bomb. And while I'm mentioning that, I just have to squeeze in. This is not a summer blockbuster, but because it has summer in the title, there's a film that just came out called Summertime. And that is a film that I think will make probably no money, but it will make an impression on the people who see it. It's have you seen Richard Linklater's Slacker, where it's like yeah, a of bunch course. of people bopping around Austin yeah. talking about the things that interest them? Mm-hmm. This is that, but done with young kids here in L.A., all of whom are poets. And it's like poems that they wrote kind of getting interspersed in a film that's all about a day in the life of a bunch of these kids. It starts in Venice and it moves its way across L.A. And you get this whole tour of L.A. And it is just charming and funny and magical. There's like a dance um, in front of the Johns on 8th Street in Normandy, oh, where, wow. where like people just start dancing in the middle of the street in these red dresses. There's, I don't know, a, a dance party inside of a Korean restaurant in the kitchen. It's just one of the most magical films I've seen all summer. So tiny, tiny, tiny thing. I'm going to just seize this excuse to say, go see Summertime. 
All right. Well, I am going to then seize the excuse to say that the movie I'm most excited about, and I'm even shocking myself to say it, honestly, it's not a movie that's going to come out in theaters, but it's a movie that has been in development for a while. It's the Peter Jackson documentary about the Beatles uh, called Get Back, where they recorded their last album. He That originally was a documentary that was kind of pieced together and, and not really well done, essentially, like, like for lack of a better, longer story. Peter Jackson got all the original uh, footage, all the original files, and kind of made this real uh, document of what it was like to be in the Beatles realm in this in this moment, um, this moment of of breakup. Uh, I'm so excited for that. I just feel like it's so fun to find and unearth something that uh, and that's a very different type of blockbuster. But I feel like it's going to I think that's going to be a. Uh, be very big. And that's a movie where, again, who is that for? Do young kids like the Beatles? I don't know. But maybe this will be a way in. Maybe this will be like the way that I think people really rallied around Metallica when, you know, I don't, I don't think a lot of Metallica, I, I think more than just Metallica fans watched that documentary and I had an appreciation for them. So I'm curious to see like when you find something like this, if this will have that same kind of resonance. I don't know. I wonder, do young kids feel the same way about the Beatles and Elvis that like the swing time revolution was for us in the 90s? I don't I can't speak to that because my kids certainly don't. Uh, But I mean, I also have very young kids. I can only kind of base it on I'm in the Pixar world right now. Like I'm in that kind of zone. So do they know who Elvis is? No, God, no. Are you going to teach them? Um. Look, I put on music for them and some stuff they like. And like, I'll tell you who translates. Weird Al Yankovic translates. I'll tell you who, uh, you know, I like, you know, they like it, it works. And, you know, and they love they love different stuff. You know, they, they definitely go more poppy than anything else, you know, but uh, they love to dance. They love to have a good time. Like, you know, they're not snobs about anything. It's just sort of like what they're hearing. And, and you know, we we sing that uh, PPAP. Uh, pen pineapple song that's a very big song uh you know that's a you know so we get we get a lot of stuff out here i don't know <laughs> okay you know while we're talking about comedy i know i bring him up a lot on this show but eddie murphy truly was one of the kings of summer movies i mean beverly hills cop 2 was one of the highest grossing films you start, i mentioned it earlier in the show you know and not to mention all the films that he did after that that still continued to bring it in but to do beverly hills cop 2 an r-rated film to bring in that much money just speaks to how giant eddie murphy was so i want to throw eddie murphy out there if there's a movie out there that people feel like you know maybe there's an eddie murphy we need to give a little homage to eddie uh here you know uh, i think that it's definitely worth it i don't know i love beverly hills cop 2 i don't know if i would pick that over beverly hills cop 1 i think that beverly hills cop 1 may hold up better even though i personally love beverly hills cop 2 but i again <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 you know, I could go off on this all uh, all the time. So, but I just want to throw that out to people. You know, let's think about the king, the original king of the summer film, Eddie Murphy, uh, before we make all of our choices here. If we want to talk about a huge Eddie Murphy comedy coming to America, one which we talked about a little bit here on the show too, made like three hundred and fifty million dollars. I mean, this guy wow. is uh, giant, 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 giant. So, you know, these are all things to consider. Uh, they, you know, it's. It's hard. It's hard to kind of pin it all down. But uh, I think, you know, I think it's time to maybe jump in that Eddie Murphy well a little bit. So we yeah. see what he's got. All right. Well, all right. Let's get serious. It's time to really get serious because I want to pick some stuff out. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Okay. So back to this one. I think we should do Roger Rabbit or Back to the Future. Okay. I would pick Back to the Future, but let's let the audience decide. Yeah, I'm tempted to go Roger Rabbit as as much as I love Back to the Future. Just I, mean, I feel like Roger fe- Rabbit yeah. comes up all the time. Like it feels like a film that we're always saying we want to cover. How amazing is Roger Rabbit? It is. It it to me is groundbreaking. Zemeckis is a person that I would have no problem putting two on a list for. But maybe there's better time travel movies. Maybe Back to Future holds a special place for me. So I'm open to that conversation. What do you got? What's that? What else? Okay. Well, I feel like we need a Will Smith film. Absolutely, The King of Summer. I mean, I would go immediately to Men in Black. I feel like that's like the gold standard of a Will Smith film, even though we picture him in that flight suit in Independence Day. I don't know if Independence Day holds up. Uh, my gut I don't is know if I, it does either, but I saw a lot of people saying they want to see Independence Day. All right. Interesting. All right. Maybe we've passed the moment of it, but all right. So Will Smith definitely has to be on that list. Okay. Well, then let's put that one to the vote. Let's say Men in Black versus Independence Day. All right. I love it. Let's get to where it really gets tough then, because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy with letting the audience decide these. I think we have to do a superhero film. My -hmm. choice, it's tough. Okay. In my head, I have this thing that I'm calling Batman versus Superman. I feel like I want to do the original Richard Donner Superman. I feel like Mm. we should. I I feel like Richard Donner deserves us to do the original Superman. But can we also make room for the Tim Burton Batman? And if we do the Tim Burton Batman, does that mean we're not doing the Dark Knight? Or... Or should we put both Batmans head to head and say we're definitely doing a Superman, but we'll see which Batman we do? I mean, I would argue we could do a whole superhero series where we just do like origin story superhero. I would go, I would go Batman 89, Dark Knight, and then I would do Superman. And I would definitely put this. Uh, I would also put like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man versus the uh, Tom Holland Spider-Man. Like, I mean, like there's, I mean, uh, maybe that's too much, but I think that that Spider-Man is also a really interesting evolution on in all these as well. I, I think maybe Homecoming or the first one. Uh, yeah, Homecoming, I think, is the first one. Uh, that one might be the evolution. You go Batman 89 or you go Superman, Superman. Batman, Dark Knight, Spider-Man. You probably have to put Iron Man in there, too. I think you do have to put Iron Man in there. So are you saying then pop Blade. out? Blade. Oh, Blade. <laughs> Blade. Oh, Blade. Okay, so Ooh. you're saying pop all of these out and do a superhero series later? Like consider uh, them a separate thing? I, I kind of I kind of wouldn't mind that discussion because I think that that's a, new, a really interesting discussion to have, like a, a superhero discussion. I'm not adverse if people really want us to do a superhero movie. I'm down with it, but I feel like we have a lot in our... We have a lot in our front right here for blockbusters. If we can pull one out, I'm fine, but let, let's let the audience decide. Let's let the audience decide. Okay, okay. You know what? I'm actually, I, you've actually swayed me without even meaning to sway me. I feel like there's enough there to do like original Superman, Batman. Oh, yeah. Dark Blade. Knight, Batman, Blade, Iron Man, and a Superman, and a Spider-Man. Yeah, that's its own series. That's its And own very series. different. All very different. They are very you different. Know. They are very yeah. different. Um, I will not put the Halle Berry Catwoman in there. It's fine. <laughs> All right. So okay. what else do you have? Well, I was floating two that came up actually a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And I consider these more like the Old Spice summer blockbuster. Okay. But I saw a lot of love for The Fugitive and The Rock. Mm-hmm. Okay. That dead silence from you. Uh, we can no, move on. I, no, I'm actually, no, <laughs> no. I, I'm like actually thinking because yeah. what I'm thinking about is, you know, you touched on something that used to be for me 
the thing that I loved about summer block, Michael Bay used to be the king mm. of the summer blockbuster, right? So I'm thinking about Armageddon. I'm thinking about, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I, and The Rock is one of my favorite. And then I'm thinking about, like, is Face Off a summer movie? Like, that's not, you know, this is a... Uh, Wait, is it? When did it come out? I'm going to check it out right now. I'm checking it out right now, too. Um, Con Air definitely is a summer movie. Uh, you know, but this like this Jerry Bruckheimer, yep, yeah, uh, Face Off is a summer movie. Like, oh, I'm just thinking, like, I want to do Face Off. I mean, yeah, you know, it looks. Oh, I want to do face off. Can we do face off, Paul? Let's see. I mean, look, I'm down. I'm down. This is what I'm saying. It's so hard to kind of narrow this down. So we got to see what people want us to do. Would you do face off over point break? I would do point break over face off. I would do face off over point break. Wow. Do we agree on anything today? What's happening? No, I love what it. What happened it's to us, Paul? We used to be so. No, insane. but this is great. I think it's good. Like, I mean, I love Face Off. I'm not. I'm. These are. These are like killing babies. Like, I like they're very. Uh, the, there's no wrong choices here. What I would change speed? my opinion. Speed. Yeah, I love speed. I mean, speed. It speed doesn't jump to the top of my list. Like, if we're talking about all these movies, like speed is a little bit further down. I love it. It's great. But that Jerry Bruckheimer, Michael Bay summer blockbuster, they own the summer blockbuster for such a long time. And I feel like that is such a, you know, we're, I think, you know, like whether it's National Treasure, The Rock, you know, the, these Enemy of the State even is one that people talk about. Days of Thunder. And again, I don't know when all these are coming out. Oh, but Days I feel of like Thunder I'll, is terrible, but yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but these are all these big giant movies. Top Gun is one of those movies, you know. Uh, Bad Boys. I'm sure Bad Boys is a summer film. You know, like I'm, I'm in. I'm, all, I'm all in. I mean, I want to do a, do a Bruckheimer series. goddammit. it! Like, I mean, like, like so many great movies in there. Now I'm thinking about Top Gun, and I'm thinking about Mission Impossible. Mm. Because I love Mission Impossible, and <sighs> Me I too. wonder which Mission if Impossible. The first one. I think the oh. first one. I think the first one's the best one. Then I, I like disagree. three, okay. and then I like uh, maybe five. I start to get the numbers confused after Ghost I had a Protocol, certain point. The last one and Ghost Protocol are my two favorites. Really? I yeah. love one. I think one is special. I think two is the worst. Yeah, two um, is pretty bad. Two is horrendous. Two is absolutely horrendous. But three... When you have Philip Seymour Hoffman as the villain, he's just the best villain. Oh, he's the best that. villain oh, yeah. in the entire No, franchise. sorry. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Uh, I thought that was Ghost Protocol, but no, no. Ghost Protocol is when they are blamed for something. Yeah, uh, no. the, the, the one where they're blamed for something is all of them. Okay. Literally yeah, the, all of them. Is there like, oh no, the Tom Cruise went Abrams, rogue yeah, the, again. Oh, it wasn't him. He was set up. Oh no. he went, like They'll never believe that he didn't go rogue. This is very hard for me, Amy. Like I love all these movies. These are the movies I own. These are movies I love. It's like, I, yes. That's why I need our listeners to help us decide, like help, help start to show us a direction because we're going to get to these movies eventually. But we can only if we can only do the top four or no, five. no, 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 no. I want to do at least six or seven. OK, I, oh I will gosh. die if we don't do at least that. Many. OK, if we do our top six, what are your top six? Uh, we want to hear from you. We already know that we have one down. We have five left to go. We've given you a lot of great choices. We haven't even tackled into the comedy. We haven't even tackled into the new no. movies. Everything is on is everything is on the table. Nothing is off limits. No, but I think we need to give some clarifying okay. voter ideas because otherwise okay. we're going to go really off the rail. Okay. okay. I would like to present a few. I think we've mentioned a few. Mm-hmm. Perhaps Independence Day versus Men in Black okay. versus Bad Boys. What if we put all of those there? Okay, great. Okay. Independence Day, Men in Black, and Bad Boys. Done. Yep. Okay. Roger Rabbit versus Back to the Future. That one makes me want to die, and that means I think we should do it. Okay, let's do it. Okay. 
here's one that I think is interesting because I've been railing about sequels this entire time. But if we're trying to trace back the history of sequels and, and when did we become so sequel dependent, maybe we should do two sequels that I think are both actually really good and maybe even would go in ahead of the originals, which would be Terminator 2 and Fury Road. Between those Ooh, two, wow. what would you do? Okay, I think yep. that also makes me want to die. Yeah, and me too, but that's great. Okay, I'm down. All right. So Terminator 2 versus Fury Road. Wow. Okay, these are great. These are really hard head-to-heads. Where do you think we should go from here? Well, I think we need a comedy. I think we need a yeah. comedy battle, and I think we can say 40-year-old virgin, uh, hangover, bridesmaids, or super bad. I mean, that's four, but, uh, but those are four great films. And, you know, we can see maybe there's room for two. I think there should be. We At the end of the day, we need to make sure that we are representing everything the correct way. But I, I think horror should be on here as well. Uh, so let's do that. Let's do a, a four-headed fight between hangover, super bad, bridesmaids, or uh, 40-year-old virgin. That's and intense. Then, like, do you, have a gut in, what, what, do you have a gut in that one? Which one do you think you'd pick? If I could only live with one movie, I probably would pick uh, it probably get down between Superbad and Bridesmaids. I picked Superbad. That's that's my personal preference. I think. I could say that. I was I was narrowing it down to Hangover and Bridesmaids, and I was torn. Um, I will also say like if we want to talk about horror, we could talk about a movie like uh the. I just want to make sure I'm just right about this. Oh yeah, I, I think let's let's not if we don't mind, okay. uh, let's not get into horror just because we're going to do oh, a whole okay. horror section. Oh, you anyway. got it. okay, got it. Yeah. Okay, got it. This is okay. not good. Okay, so. So where does that give us right now? We have four competitions. Yes, Am and I, I think that that yeah, four competitions. We have one movie picked, and that allows us to kind of pick one on the fly based on what other people might be thinking about that we haven't thought about. Because okay. I think there's enough yeah. out there, like we did with space, where we might even find ourselves being drawn to something that we have I mean, to call an audible on. I kind of want to. If we're doing, if we're doing. Can you hear me stuttering? Now I'm just overwhelmed by options. I think if we're doing a Will Smith, I want to do a Tom Cruise. Okay. Okay. And I think in my Tom Cruise, I want to put up Top Gun, Mission Impossible, Edge of Tomorrow. Okay. I'll buy that. Yeah? I'm in. I'm in. Okay. Oof. So many great films. I'm excited to watch all of them. And I'm excited to see how they actually hold up, too, because I wonder if, you know, the movie that we haven't talked about, we haven't touched on at all, that people really have talked about a lot, is Die Hard. Did that come out in the summer? It did. Even it's though it's Christmas? Movie. Yep, it's a summer movie. But that's just messed up. Why would they do that? I don't know. But that's... I don't think that they thought it was going to be successful, actually. Uh, that was a movie that, you know, had everything kind of going against it. If you look at the history of it, it's really interesting. Um, but that movie came out July 22nd. Wow, I object to that. I just think that's terrible. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a winter film. But uh, so I'm going to throw Die Hard in this mix somewhere, too. Like, let's see, you know, maybe we don't have to throw it into a battle, but I think it should be up there in uh, in one of these discussions. Fair enough. I, I, I just I think I really zoned out on everybody nominating Die Hard because I was like, no way is that a summer movie. No, I, it is. It is. This it is, is like my Mandela effect situation. No, I didn't think of it as a summer movie as well, but I do remember being in the theater uh and watching Die Hard 2, which is, I believe, an also a summer movie. Uh, yeah, July 2nd. And I remember just being so excited because it was, it was so cold in the theater. And when I saw it, it was so hot outside. So I remember that uh, very clearly. <laughs> but yeah, so let's throw, throw that on the list. Should we throw uh, Die Hard and Speed on there or is that just too much? 
I mean, yeah, let's let's just see. We'll kind of start to sift out because yeah. these are our opinions, too. And I feel like I wouldn't have run to Jurassic Park. But the um, the immediate reaction was Jurassic Park and Back to the Future were yeah. movies that people threw up. But now we've just really gotten a lot of ideas in people's heads. We've said a lot of titles. We've said movies like Point Break. We've said movies like Die Hard. We've said movies like Top Gun. Let's let the let's let the people decide. We have thrown down many a gauntlet here. And uh, and I think it will be fun to see how it all comes together. Okay, so we'll start with Jurassic Park, and then from there we'll start seeing how the voice the votes shift off. Now mm-hmm. I am curious about like a Die Hard versus The Rock versus Speed. I mean, I'm I'm kind of that's where I feel like it has to live. Yeah, yeah, I feel like though that all has the same like my divorced daddy doesn't love me, but at least he can save the world vibe. And I mean, it's also, you know, John McTiernan and I, I feel like, look, I know it's not correct to say, but Joel Silver and Jerry Bruckheimer come are cut from the same cloth. So I'm OK with that kind of a, you know, a Joel Silver, Bruckheimer, some some representation in there. Do we put Point Break in there or do we just say we want to do Point Break? I think we put Point Break. In, I think let's put okay. them all in. We'll put all them right. all in. We can all always right. find all other right. ways all to right. get all these right. out. It's we're we're basically now acting like a Fast and Furious movie. Just throw in everything that people throw want. Throw everything in the If sink. we thought something was dead, it can come back to life. Everybody has amnesia and we're family. I love it. I okay. love it. I love it. I love it. All right, then. All right, All right, then. so next week we are starting off with Jurassic Park. Get ready here. Take a listen to the trailer. There it is. Welcome to Jurassic Park. We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. The most phenomenal discovery of our time. How'd you do this? Becomes the greatest adventure of all time. Can I touch it? Sure. Universal Pictures presents. You feel that? Hold on to your butts. A Steven Spielberg film. Fences are failing all over the park. Yeah, that's nice. Gotta go. An adventure. Look out! Go! I can't get Jurassic Park back online. 65 million years in the making. Jurassic Park. You can find Jurassic Park literally everywhere. Everywhere. Uh, and, uh... Yeah, so I cannot wait to talk to you about this, a movie that we've talked about a lot on the show, a movie that, if you remember correctly, Amy, when we last spoke about it, I said, I think I would put Jurassic Park on the list over Jaws, or there was a debate about what we would put on the list, Jaws or Jurassic Park, and I know it made many people upset. Can't remember what opinion I. Yeah, took you on came it. out. You came out very hard in favor of Jurassic Park. I remember yeah. because people wanted to send you back to the Stone Age. Yeah, um, but maybe you have a point. Let's see. Okay, so. What we'll do is we will start um, releasing polls for these head-to-heads. We'll get a sense of the room. We'll get a sense of the vibe. Is this going to be like as hot as a Michael Bay explosion or more like a thermonuclear whatever gizmo the Avengers have that's going to blow up the planet? And we will see who lives. Perfect. I love it. All right. So get to the Discord. Get to our Twitter. Get to our Facebook. Make your voices heard, and we will listen to you. And uh, that means we're going to go down with the ship, just like we did last time. I know uh, we listened to you when we picked our movies, and it's been so much fun having you all involved uh, with this. So make your voices heard. 